And I'd now like to welcome to the stage Baroness Barbara Young, who is Chair of the Care Quality Commission, which has, morning, <laughs> which has been in business since the 1st of April this year. And she's going to be looking at equalities and linking equalities to performance and outcomes. Uh, Barbara has a background in health, the environment, and broadcasting, and a penchant for the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds. <laughs> so, welcome, Rob. Thank you, Denise. Um, it's great to be here this morning. Um, I want to talk really about, just a little bit about the Care Quality Commission, what we're doing in respect of equalities in uh, carers, but more widely as well, because you can't expect me to be in front of a group like this without doing a little bit of sales promotion for the organisation since it's so new. Uh, and eventually we will get a presentation coming up and I can talk to you about that. But then just to talk about the, some of the big things that are coming up in terms of our regulatory approach, how we want to build in carers' interests and equalities into, into that approach for the future, both in respect of uh, um, the people who provide services, um, the people who commission services, and our own work. Great. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, let me just start with... Our strategy, if, if, if you've got really bad days of insomnia, do go onto our website and read our strategy. Actually, it's very interesting and very short, uh, and we can get it all onto one slide as well, which is um, a, a rare event for an organisation. Our strap line is not what used to come up when you Googled CQC, which was close quarters combat. Um, <laughs> we, uh, our strap line is we make sure people get better care. Uh, and I think that one of the main... Uh, features of that is that, the peop that people is right at the centre of that strap line. Um, our priorities, which are the bit outlined in yellow, um, start very deliberately with ensuring care is centred on people's needs. And that's uh, part of uh, summing up an approach which really is aimed at embedding human rights in everything we do to put people who use health and social care right at the centre of, of our processes and the way in which we operate uh, and um, when we say people who use care, I think we automatically uh, want to uh, bring alongside that uh, carers and families as well, because um, we want to see people as individuals and their needs as individuals, but very often operating within uh, bigger groups of, of families and carers. So uh, our principal aim in embedding people right at the centre of the work we do and in the centre of, of their care needs is to make sure that both providers and commissioners of services consider individual needs, consider individual rights as a core part of what they're delivering. I mean, our other priorities, just so that we can get the kind of commercial breakover, is, is championing joined up care for the first time ever. We can look right across health and social care because that's the way people experience care. Uh, we can uh, uh, hopefully uh, act very swiftly to knit poor care in the bud, and that's part of the work that we're doing to look at how services um, show early signs of, of poor quality rather than waiting for them actually to be uh, in the process of delivering poor quality. But we also want to celebrate good quality care and to help spread good practice wherever possible and to be an effective, modern, risk-based, proportionate, non-duplicative, non-burdensome, but effective regulator. Um, We've chosen a very wide model of care because, of course, if you're talking about care right across health and social care, it needs to have a wide definition. 
Uh, and, and clearly there are some very basic things like safety and safeguarding, but we very much want to look at care in terms of the outcomes for people. How are people... Uh, is care actually developing good outcomes? But also... Uh, what is the real experience of people who use services and their families and carers? Are they enabled to be in charge of their care? Uh, are they enabled to really play a, a key role in decision making? Are they the centre of the assessment process? Uh, are they uh, treated with dignity and respect? Are they enabled to maximise their potential? Because I think the next bullet point on supporting independence, well-being, quality of life is an important one for us as well. Uh, too often people are defined by a condition. You know, they're people with dementia or they're people with a learning disability or they're uh, people who've had a stroke. Uh, we want uh, to make sure that care delivers beyond that, that it, it helps people be as independent as possible to have a sense of well-being uh, and uh, maximise their potential and their quality of life. So let me just go on to talk about what we're going to do in our work with commissioning, uh, sorry, our work with providing, our work with commissioning, and the way we're going to do that internally within the Care Quality Commission. Um, and the biggest thing coming at us all is the new registration system from the 1st of April next year. For the first time, we'll be registering uh, all National Health Service providers, so it'll be the first time the NHS has had to have a licence to operate. It's going to be a bit of a shock to the system, poor souls. Um, uh, but then from October next year, um, all of those services currently registered under the social, uh, 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 under the uh, uh, social care and independent health care provisions will come into the new registration system. And then there's a whole clutch of folk like dentists and general practice services and various other folks who will come in later on. And um, the registration system, I think, is, has got two big features that, that, for me, make it quite special. One is it is joined up. It's the same system for all services, whether they're health or social care, whether they're in the independent sector or in the uh, voluntary sector or, or uh, state-delivered. Um, but more importantly, instead of being um, primarily about processes and systems and policies, it's very much about outcomes for people. And um, if you really are insomniac, uh, reading the consultation uh, on the compliance criteria, the, the guidance that we're about to issue on compliance, uh, how will you judge whether a service is, me is meeting a particular standard? You'll see that we've tried to frame that in terms of outcomes for people. Um, the new registration system has 16 quality and safety standards and a whole number of, sort of odds and sods um, arranged into these main sections and uh, all of them are very much focused on how, how does this what sort of result does this produce for the for the individual um, we want very much to promote equality and rights through the approach we take to the registration system uh, and I hope that when you see um, the guidance on compliance that we're going to be publishing on the 1st of December uh, that you'll recognise that the needs of the individual, their carers and families are right at the heart of all of that. The guidance is going to be, uh, in some cases, generic, where there are issues right across the system, irrespective of where you're receiving care. In some cases, specific to particular um, services, because there are going to be very different requirements within a big, fancy, acute hospital or a small, personalised care home setting. Uh, but equalities, rights and safeguarding are threaded through all of them. Um, in the 16 quality and safety standards, there's sections on 
uh, involving people in in decision making about their care, about personalised care, about treatment and support, about safeguarding, about safety. Uh, and uh, equalities and human rights are woven right through the standards. Uh, the, it's outcome focused and it's very much based upon the experiences of people and who use the services and the folks who support them. So it's going to be quite a big thing for folk to get their heads around, I think, that, that we're not going to be telling people how to deliver services. We're going to be saying to them, these are the sorts of outcomes for people that we want you to be able to show that you can deliver. Um, and we want you to innovate around that. Uh, and we want to help spread the good practice uh, that, that is already out there or may result from this. Now, there'll be some providers of services who will struggle with that, and we've already had that as part of the consultation exercise. Some of the smaller providers who really haven't got the space or time to step back from the daily work and to uh, really do that, that big bit of thinking about how best can they deliver care. And I suspect in common with all other regulatory fields that for these smaller organisations we'll have to do a bit of hand-holding and spoon-feeding with further supplementary advice. I know that um, Cares UK was a bit sniffy with us about the compliance guidance not being explicit enough about carers, um, but that's because the legislation, alas, it was not specific about carers. But what we've tried to do is to thread carers through uh, uh, the guidance that we're giving about approach to, to just signal to people that carers' issues are Im important. And, for example, um, if we're talking about an approach that really uh, provides a good assessment of an individual's needs, um, that can only really be done if, if a carer is, is effectively involved in that. Let me move on to the second way in which we can help promote an approach that really takes account of, of carers and uh, builds them into uh, the, both the design and the delivery of services, and that's the issue of commissioning. We've got a role in assessing commissioners of services, both uh, local authorities and primary care trusts. And again, in our commissioning, we will increase our commissioning assessment. We'll be increasingly looking at how these commissioning decisions involve the voice of users of services and their carers and families uh, and also looking at uh, how commissioning decisions are uh, made jointly across health and social care involving uh, users and, and carers. So there are, I think, developmental issues in the way we look at the assessment of commissioning. It's been done separately in the past um, with the PCTs being not terrifically well assessed on their commissioning role. We want to now focus on that role particularly um, looking at uh, how they commission very distinctively from how they provide services. There has been a much more thorough, thanks to Dame Denise, job done on the assessment of local authorities in their commissioning role. We now want to use the opportunity that the Care Quality Commission has got to bring together that assessment and really look at how these two organisations are working together uh, to commission better care that really puts the individual at, at the centre. Um, so let's just talk about a few things that we're going to be doing. I mean, I keep saying we're embedding equalities and rights across our activity, but how do we make that happen in practice? Um, well, one of the key things that we've been engaged with, again building on the good practice that was developed from Arley and T-Sky, but also in the Healthcare Commission, to really try and make sure that in everything we do, we've engaged with people who use services and people who support them, and care for them in developing, first of all, the methodologies we're going to use and the ways we're going to work. Um, 
And that's been a pretty intensive process as we've worked through the registration uh, process. All of our working groups involve carers and users, um, but we've also got particular specialist groups where the the carer input is is even more intense. Um, We carry out equality impact assessments in our policy and methods to make sure that we're carrying out our responsibilities in a way that has a positive impact on the the six strands of equality, and we've expanded that to include carers. So I was interested in the previous speaker talking about um, carers as right holders. I mean, we're trying to make sure that even though that is not legally uh, the position, that we treat carers as rights holders. They have rights. Um, And so only you'll be able to judge as we develop these um, processes and put them into practice whether that actually is delivering uh, for carers. We're going to train our staff to be confident and competent in evaluating how well services meet the needs of diverse communities and and individual needs, uh, and uh, we'll be developing a methodology and guidance to support them to do that, and that will include anticipating the changes that are in the Equalities Bill, um, new protections for carers against discrimination uh, by association, the provision of goods and facilities and services. So... I hope that in that work to make our staff put equalities at the centre of everything they're doing, that carers are part of that equalities agenda. We've got a carers advisory board set up to influence uh, and shape the way we work in relation to carers. Uh, We've had very clear messages from that that board. Um, And um, as I said, we've also involved carers in many of the users groups and boards and panels that have been set up right across CQC to influence our policy. And I suppose the first sort of utterance we've made on carers was in our response to the government's green paper on, on shaping the future of care together, um, where we very much um, reflected the carers' issues that the, the, the carers' advisory board had, had told us about. And of course, we do take part in the carers' cross government programme board, uh, which is overseeing the national carers' strategy. Uh, We're about to come out to consultation on our Equalities and Human Rights Scheme and we've made a firm commitment to include carers as a specific strand in the scheme, so we're working as if uh, it was a legal requirement for carers to have rights. Uh, And uh, we'd be delighted to get your input into into the consultation on that that scheme so you can tell us whether you feel it's doing enough. Now, it's dead easy at this stage in the development of a new organisation, a new regulatory organisation looking after quality of health and social care to make broad pronouncements and wave your arms about a lot um, because it's early days yet and I think probably it will only be over the next months and years that you'll be able to judge whether our commitments are actually working in practice. Um, But if I can assure you that our commitments are real and our intentions are honest, and we'd be delighted to get feedback if you think that we're doing well or doing badly so that we can uh, really take those on board and, and, and refine and adapt. And also so that you can just keep the issue of carers and equalities right at the front of our heads. Because there's going to be a shed load of stuff that goes pear-shaped over the next few months and years if we're not careful. Um, you know, worst recession since the dark ages. The risk is that everybody's going to start cutting costs and cutting corners that we're going to see um, some things regarded as optional uh, and also that we're going to see health and social care getting into bunkers rather than collaborating. Um, So there are a whole load of issues there that we need to make sure that the care of voice comes through. Um, The whole choice and personalisation process is continuing. Um, 
And there are very new and innovative forms of care being designed by individuals around their own personal needs. Um, we're struggling a bit thinking through what our regulatory role in a personalised world will look like, and I think that's something that there needs to be a wide debate about. Um, you know, I've had a flea in my ear from the odd uh, person who told me that they didn't want a regulator intervening between them and the arrangements that they had set up. But likewise, you can see that there are going to be vulnerable people for whom uh, designing their own personal care will have risks associated that we need to make sure are properly safeguarded against. So... Um, Choice and personalisation absolutely must be the centrepiece of what we're aiming for, uh, but we need to think through what the regulatory role is in reducing unnecessary risks. Um, and, of course, joining up the services is something that we, I think, can give a strong contribution to uh, and that we need to make sure does begin to happen in practice uh, more effectively, both at policy level. I don't think it's any great secret that the department is still struggling with this itself, um, but equally well, you know, there are better uh, examples of that in some parts of the country than in others. So there's, there's a, a challenge there to make sure uh, that joining up services really also uh, means joining up with carers themselves. And of course the Green Paper. Well, you know, worst possible timing ever, best possible timing ever, I don't know. I'm producing a white paper before the election... Um, we've got to make sure that this is something that's genuinely gripped by all parties and taken forward because there's a real problem that needs to be resolved in terms of uh, the funding and support for, for social care. Um, but it also will give us opportunities. Uh, Dame Denise and Seasky very rightly highlighted uh, variability in access across the country and the fact that uh, the, right to, uh, 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 the universal right to an assessment for care simply wasn't happening universally. Uh, and I hope that is a fundamental part of any uh, new settlement that we get on social care uh, for the future. And we'll be pressing um, that the new assessment process includes a carer's assessment as, a, as an entitlement. So that's where we are. Back to the strap line. We look forward to working with all of you to make uh, care better for people, including carers. Thank, Thank you. you